very excited to be preaching today. But before I jump into the sermon, let me say a word about why I have developed a preaching team here at Grace Fellowship instead of just preaching. Because I get emails from time to time like, where are you, Brad? Why aren't you preaching? When are you going to preach? My neighbors are saying, does he ever preach? Let me help you out. And he does. He does. Here's what's going on. The reason I do what I do regarding a preaching team, make sure you know this first. Let's have some disclaimers. It has nothing to do with me not wanting to preach or running out of material. Not going to happen. It has nothing to do with me going anywhere else. So just lay that to rest. I'm not going other places and speaking, interviewing. If you wanted me to go, so sad. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not interviewing with churches. That's not what's going on. But I've been here almost 20 years, four months away from 20 years now, and it is my desire to finish here, 15 more, get old here, push my walk around here, annoy you right here. I'm not going away unless God tells me I have to go. I have friends who love to start new churches and love change. They get bored. That is not me. I'm like, I'm going to do what I'm doing unless someone makes me do something different. He made me leave South Carolina and come here. I'm staying. So it's not that. And it's not because I speak other places. It's just, well, I guess he's not preaching today because he's preaching at another church. I wish he wouldn't do that. Notice some of you have picked up on how many times someone else is preaching and I'm here. Because some of you say, what's wrong? Is your throat bad? Why aren't you preaching? Like, I'm here, but I'm not preaching. I'm walking around, meeting people, talking to people, enjoying my church family. So get this. I love to preach. Of everything that I do here as your senior pastor, and there's a lot behind the scenes I have to do that isn't my favorite part, I love preaching, teaching. It's my very favorite thing. I I say to Vicki all the time, I do all that other stuff for the privilege of preaching. So I love it. But if you know me well, then you know this also. I also, every pastor doesn't have this, but I do. I also have a passion for equipping others to do ministry. And that includes the pulpit. We're not going to put a fence around this and say, oh, we'll teach people how to counsel and lead small group and all that other stuff, but only Brad's going to preach. No, that would be a weak church. That would not be good. I don't want the preaching to ever be dependent upon one person, even if it's me, and I love it. Because that one person could get killed in a car accident. Who knows? We want it to be broader than that. And so many times on a Sunday when I'm here and someone else is preaching, it's not because I'm gone. It's because that other person, God has gifted them, and I want to develop them, and I want to bless you. Don't you feel blessed? Okay. And I want you to see past personality, just like Paul got upset with the Corinthians when they're like, well, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of... And he's like, how about you be of Jesus? It doesn't have to be a certain speaker. Be of Jesus, all right? Now, what about guest speakers? Last two summers, we've had guest speakers, and that's different. We've never been that kind of church. Here's what's going on there. I'm 52 now. I've been in ministry 30 years. And in the mercy of God, I have some great friends. I have some great people that God is using in the kingdom. And so it's been my joy to bring them in and share them with you. And I think it's been good for our church family to hear from people outside the walls of our church. To realize, oh, there's somebody else that thinks biblical counseling. Oh, there's somebody else that has a a high view of God as sovereign. Oh, there's somebody else... Because notice, don't start emailing me and grab me and say, I've got a cousin that's a preacher, can he come? No, he probably can't. No, he's not my friend. So this isn't just, I mean, I get emails from dance ballet teams. Everybody in the world wants to take a Sunday and preach here. Not going to happen. Notice, 
All the guest speakers have been closely tied to our DNA, our doctrine, our philosophy of ministry. So there's a little word about why I don't preach every Sunday. If you, if you go back and look for the 20 years that I've been here, I typically preach 30 to 35 of the 52 Sundays. Okay? So I'm more than anybody else. And sometimes you'll say, my friends have been coming and you don't preach. Well, your friends aren't coming every week. That's part of the problem. They pop in and out and they just keep missing me. I'm here. Just not consecutive. And people don't tend to come to church consecutively. But I'm here. I do preach. All right? Jump into the sermon for today. I am excited to bring my last message in this Church Matters series. So this is my last word on it, and Peter's going to wrap it up next Sunday and actually stick the landing with a message on compassion. But this is my last word on Church Matters. And so here's what I want to do. We're not going to drill down again into any particular. We've looked at what about conflict in the church? What about church discipline? Why do we sing? Here's what I want to do today with my message. I want to take a couple big steps back and just say, all right, when we talk about the church, not in any particulars, but big picture, and we set aside peripherals, what is the church? What's really at the heart and soul of what the church is all about? What would that be? And I hope you know, when we talk about the church, we are not talking about the facility, the buildings, the grounds. We were a church long before we had any of this, folks. And some of you were there at Turkey Foot Middle School. We were a church. It used to hurt me when people come up and say, now, when you're a real church, like, oh, ow, thanks for that. When you're a real church, will you have blah, blah, blah? We were a real church at Turkey Foot. Church has nothing to do with facility, buildings, grounds. Also, when you talk about church, it has nothing to do with particular programs or ministries, although I am so glad we have a number of great, effective, life-changing ministries that didn't used to exist, but we've worked hard to get them in place. But that's not what we're talking about. And we're not talking about any particular pastor or key church leader that's up front a lot that you tend to associate him with that church. You say, well then Brad, what? What are we talking about? What is it when you really get to the heart and soul of the church? What is it? Well, when I read my Bible, and I try to read all the way through it every year, Genesis to Revelation, every year. When I read my Bible, I see three components that stand out as what constitutes the heart and soul of church. And I'm going to go ahead and give them to you right up front, and then I'm going to take you to the scriptures and give you some more detail to support it. Here's what I see standing out in the New Testament as what constitutes the very heart and soul of a church. Number one, an amazing person whose name is, say it, not Brad Bigney, not not C.J. Mahaney, not anybody else, Jesus, an amazing person whose name is Jesus, a life-changing, number two, a life-changing message that we call the gospel. The New Testament just frames it up as a summary statement, the gospel. And number three, a bunch of insignificant little people that God chooses to use to build his kingdom and do something unshakable. That's it. An amazing person, a life-changing message, and a bunch of little people. That's the church. But I think here in America, what we bump up against is here in America more than many other places. All of those key components at the heart and soul of it can actually get lost sometimes because of all the other stuff that we have. 
And what, what really often we think of as a huge advantage in America can actually be a disadvantage. It can be one great disadvantage because of all the resources, money, accessories, bells, and whistles that sometimes can actually begin to choke out the main thing. But I'm convinced when you dig past, you make an effort to dig past the buildings, programs, methods, ministries, models, music, church fads that come and go, when you choose to go to your Bible and get back to the heart and soul of what it's really all about, I'm convinced of this. You'll find yourself standing, regardless of what century you're living in. It has nothing to do with this time or old time. Regardless of what century you find yourself standing in, I believe you'll find yourself looking squarely into the face of Jesus, the power of the gospel, surrounded by a bunch of of little people. That's the church. That's the heart and soul of the church. Two powerful components, Jesus and the gospel, surrounded by what looks like really weak, pathetic, insignificant little people. But now let me show you these three things from scripture. We could go to a number of places, but I'm gonna go to one to show you these three components. I'm gonna go to one of my very favorite places. We're gonna go back to the book of, say it, say it again. Let out a little whoop, woo, Romans. Romans, since it is my goal to find as many ways to preach from Romans as possible. Go ahead and find your way there to the book of Romans chapter one. Because here's what I wanna show you. These three components, you see them in Paul's letter to the Romans, which actually is one of the, the most difficult and deep treatises that we have in the Bible on the doctrine of our salvation and sanctification. He goes into some of the most difficult, deep doctrine in this letter, but I think it's very interesting. Deep doctrine is bookended with these three simple components that I'm putting before you as the heart and soul of a church. Jesus. The gospel, little people. Look at what I'm talking about. Right out of the box, Romans chapter one. Paul jumps in with the glorious person of Jesus Christ. That's how he starts. There's a number of things he could have addressed, deep things he could teach, issues they were facing that he could tell them what they ought to do about it. And he always does in his letters, but he starts here. See, whenever you talk about the church or you begin to talk to the church, You shouldn't get very far in your conversation before you're talking about Jesus. If you're having discussions about the church and Jesus isn't coming up, something's wrong. Because Jesus is the head of the church and we are his bride. Bride, bride, bride. So look at how Paul kicks it off in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I'm reading verses 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now look at me. There's a sentence that tells us he was fully man, born of the seed of, to a woman, born of the seed of David in the flesh. He's fully man. 
Go on, verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. There's Jesus is fully God. Not like every other man. Fully man, fully God, the God-man. There has been no one in the history of our world like Jesus. Jesus is the most amazing, most glorious, most unique person who's ever walked the earth. Jesus. There's just a mouthful of Jesus that Paul starts off with before he gets into anything deeper, any deeper dark doctrine. Because it really is all about Jesus, folks. Without Jesus, we've got nothing. If we lose Jesus, the church might as well shut down. Because it's Jesus that we're his body and he's the head and we're the bride that makes the church a living, breathing entity instead of dead bricks and mortar. Without Jesus, we're no different than any other business or corporation that's out there pushing and peddling some product, hoping to be clever enough to get some other people to buy into it. But that is not the church. Jesus Christ is alive. He's calling people to himself and we get to be a part of what he's doing all over the world through local churches. This is not Amway. This is not a business. It's not a club. I have no fuzzy hat with a tassel. It's not this, that, or the other club. It's the church. Jesus. And she's alive. Jesus. 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 But that's not all. You can see the second component fairly quickly. He doesn't even get out of the first chapter of this great letter before he throws in the second component that I want you to see. He gives us one of the most memorable, motivational, life-changing reminders as to what the most powerful message ever given to man is. And it's the gospel. The gospel. Look at it in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now let me stop right here. If that word gospel is unfamiliar to you, let me just help unpack it real quick a little bit so you know. Gospel is simply shorthand in the scriptures to give reference to this. The good news that although you could never be righteous enough... You could never, or I, be good enough. You could never be clean enough in God's sight. And although you could never find a way once and for all to get rid of all your sin forever, God has done for you what you could never do for yourself in giving you the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, By faith. When you put your faith, when you turn from your sins to Jesus Christ, not to the church, not to a program, not to a man, when you turn from your sins to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him that He is who He says He is, God man. And that He did what the scriptures say He did, that when He died on the cross, first He kept the law perfectly and then died on the cross and our sins were on Him and God poured out His wrath that should have been poured out on you, on Him instead as a substitute sacrifice. 
And when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin and Satan and hell and death and set us free, as we sang about, to walk in new life. That's the gospel. If you've forgotten, or if it's gotten lost somewhere along the way, or if on your very worst day you're so focused on the marriage that isn't what you wish it was, or the job that seems to be petering out, or the health that seems to be deteriorating, folks, if you would just take a fresh look at the gospel and say, oh my goodness, my sin has been forever removed And the righteousness of Christ has been applied to my account so that when God of the universe, holy, 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 thrice, holy, cannot look at sin or be near sin, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my filthy sin. He sees the righteousness and beauty and wonder of his son and sings over me, accepts me, loves me, and is for me, Romans 8 says. He's for me. Everyone else in the world can be against me, but God is for me because I'm in Christ. Yes, cheer. I mean, it's like, okay, so that's the gospel. Let's not just... Dance across it, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Pick it up again. To sal- for it is the power of God. It. Now that it is referring back to the gospel. And so, get this. You only have to be alive and have a pulse to have an awareness that there is a God. There is a God. We see tsunamis and typhoons and tornadoes and hurricanes and lightning rip across the sky and newborn babies. And there's so much the wonder of a cello and music and why it makes sense and stirs us. There's so much in this world that says, God, 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 and power, power, power. But get this, there is no other place in the universe that most puts on display the power of God more than the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And think about it. It's one thing to rock a nation or an island with waves and floods. It's one thing to to do any number of things in nature. But imagine the power necessary to have solved this problem to clean and eradicate the sins of every single sinner in all their filth, who would ever trust Christ, the gospel and what Christ did has the power to make all those, not just in America, Indonesia, Thailand, Japan, Bangladesh, all those people through the power of the gospel can be clean and forgiven. What power? It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by... You want to be just? The word just just means you're right. You're right with God. You were wrong. You were, you were estranged. You were enemy. The just shall live by... Say it. Say it again. Say it for all those people that don't get it. No one is made right with God through human effort and good works. 
Never going to happen. Ever. And that's why verse 17, folks, rocked, rocked Martin Luther's world. And Martin Luther was already a Roman Catholic monk. And get this, he already had his doctorate in theology. He was no dummy. He had studied the scriptures. But can you read the Bible and still just kind of be, do-do-do-do-do-do, lights out? Yes. Spirit of God has to, has to help you. He had his doctorate in theology and he was still living in agony, never sure whether he was right with God. His personal biography tells of being in a thunderstorm and being terrified. He was caught out in a thunderstorm going from one city to the next on foot. But the terror was he thought he was going to die and he still just was not convinced. Am I right with God? Would I go to heaven? Am I okay? Am I in right standing? And he's a monk with his doctorate in theology. But when he read Romans 1.17, his heart exploded as he realized the good news of the gospel was that God, by faith, gives us his righteousness. You don't have to earn it. When you put your faith in Christ, he gives you his own. In other words, God gives to you what he demands of you. He says, this is what's expected. And you say, I don't have it. He says, you're right. But look to Christ and you get it freely by faith. It rocked Martin Luther's world. And God didn't just use that to rock Martin Luther's world. God then used Martin Luther to rock the then known church world. Because see, Martin Luther was living in 1500s, early 1500s. And he was living in a day where the church had lost Jesus And the gospel in the midst of all it was doing. Can that happen? Oh my, yes. The church was caught up in externals and pomp and circumstance and tradition. And and God used Martin Luther to rock the church world and bring it back to salvation is not your good works. Salvation is not you trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Salvation is not you being treat others as I want to be treated. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Oh, say it again. Oh, again. Nothing. Nothing. You bring nothing to the table but your filthy sin. And you look to Christ by faith and God wipes out your record of sin. Say, thank you, Lord. And gives you Christ's righteousness, not on a contract basis. Let's see how you do. Let's see if you live for me well and we'll renew this maybe. You get it and you can't lose it. Wow, that's the gospel. Rocked Martin Luther. God used him to rock the church world with this message that had always been the message But the church had gotten way off track. But now, I want you to see this third component. So we've started with two powerful, glorious, amazing things. Jesus Christ, the only God-man, the most unique person that's ever walked the face of the earth. And the gospel, the most powerful message. Microsoft has a message. Apple has a message. All kinds of companies have a powerful message, many of them, that has gone around the world and impacted Coca-Cola. But folks, there is no message that's had a greater, lasting, eternal impact than the gospel. Power in a person, power in a message. But now buckle up, because this is going to take you back. The third component is not like the first two, filled with power 
and glory and wonder. Here's the third component. When you read your New Testament and you get past all the trappings, what is the church really all about? The third component is right here. Before Paul signs off on this great letter, he fills up almost an entire additional chapter with 34 names of little, mostly unheard of Christians who never made the all-star cut of who's who in the Bible. Go there, Romans 16. So we've bookended. Deep doctrinal truth is wrapped around with three simple components. Jesus, gospel, and little, insignificant, mostly unheard of people in the local church. Romans 16. This is probably the most forgotten chapter in Romans. If you were honest, I won't ask for a show of hands, but like when I read Romans and I get there, I start skimming, big guy. I just start skimming, like whatever. There's no good stuff about justification, sanctification, wonderful stuff. It's just like, why these names? Romans 16. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. Because when you see most of these names, you're going to say, who? I've never heard of them. That's my point. These people in the book of Romans, there's no names here of people who stopped the mouths of lions, as far as we know of. There's no names here of people who took 100 years to build an ark. There's no names here of anyone who killed a nine-foot giant with a stone and a sling. Most people could say, all right, all right, Daniel, Noah, David. None of that. But here's the Apostle Paul calling them out by name, by name. And commending a host of little people in the local church. And here's what I think. I know now I'm speculating, okay? So allow me a little speculation. Here's how I think this happened. I really believe, as I think this through, that the Apostle Paul, before he closes out this letter, he just leans back and he's smiling as he thinks about Real people on the other end in Rome. He's sitting in Corinth. He thinks about people in Rome that he knows. Their paths have crossed. Church world isn't that big at this point. They've done ministry together. Some that he doesn't know personally, but he's heard about them, their reputation. And he loves, get this, and this is what I want my heart to be, and I would love for your heart to be this. He doesn't just love Jesus and love the gospel. He loves people. And he knows names people and he just starts thinking about people in that church and most often Paul would write whenever he did a letter someone else is writing and he's dictating so I picture Paul Tertius is the guy dictating you can see that at the end of Romans 16 he's like oh 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 oh, hang on hang on hang on we're not done don't stop I got more Paul by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit adds an entire additional chapter as he thinks about real people with names, little people who are serving and have made a difference in his life and the life of others. And he wants to commend them. He just begins to flip through the Rolodex of his mind as he dictates 34 names of little people that are in the church at Rome. And some of them he lists are right there in the church at Corinth where he is. Now, you say, Brad, how do you know that you think he was done and he ended up getting stirred and adding this? Well, look at Romans 15, 33. 
Romans 15, sounds like he's done. And it sounds like Paul has stuck the landing with a benediction that was so typical of Paul when he wrote a letter. Look at it in Romans 15, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. But then I think he started thinking about Phoebe, who he'd already asked to carry this letter to Rome. We think she has business dealings there. And hey, as you go, Phoebe, would you carry this to the church at Rome? And so he thinks, oh, you know what? I want to say a good word about Phoebe. I want to commend Phoebe to them before she leaves. And here's what happened, I think. As he commends Phoebe, it just gets the juices flowing and going. And he's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's also Andronicus and Junia. And there's, there's Aquila and Priscilla. And, and there's Olympus. And there's real people there that I love who have done ministry even though they didn't make the cut of who's who. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand in honor of little people in the local church that God uses to proclaim a great big Jesus and a life-changing message. God has chosen to, to lift up Jesus and spread this message through little people. So you stand as I read Romans 16. Romans chapter 16, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church right here in Sancria. That was an area of Corinth. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. They got saved before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. And then he takes a little aside and gives them a caution and a reminder about division and disunity and people who stir up strife in verse 17 to 20. But then he comes back to people and he talks about people in the church where he is in Corinth. Verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city. That's pretty cool. Corinth was no little city. This was a big trade city, business, commerce, thoroughfare. The treasurer of the city is a Christian going to that little church. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Second benediction. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began... 
but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. You may be seated. An amazing Savior, a life-changing message, and a bunch of little, mostly unheard of, people in the local church. Now, you think about it for a minute. These two cities, Rome and Corinth, these were big cities. These were big deals. And I am sure, as we listen to these names, and here's, here's little people in the local church trying to live for Jesus in a big city that's not for Jesus, Rome and Corinth. And I'm sure the great city of Rome and all its pomp and glory and power and splendor and thought very little of these Christians Paul was naming. And the city right there in Corinth was a major thoroughfare. You had to go through Corinth for most trade. So this was a business city that was thriving with commerce Makes me think of a place maybe like New York City or a place in Houston where there's a, there's a port. This was the place and it was filled with immorality. And I'm sure the city of Corinth gave little or no thought to these Christians in Corinth. But God used little Christians to turn those two cities and the world upside down. And God is still working that way. God still chooses to work that way today with an amazing Savior, a life-changing message, and a bunch of little people in the local church. And I got a little time left, so here's what I want to do. They are little people, mostly unheard of. But if you poke around and you do a little background reading, you can draw some conclusions and you can surmise some things about some of these And I want to take a few minutes to do that for you. And here's why. Because I am hoping you might find yourself in the list. And say, that's me. I'm like that. Let's start with Phoebe. Right there in verses 1 and 2, she's likely a single woman or widowed. Because no man or husband is mentioned. And that was very unusual in that day. But apparently she runs a significant business and regularly travels to Rome. And so Paul has already asked her, would you carry this letter to the church at Rome as you go to do whatever it is she does? Because he says, you know, while she's there, help her with whatever else she's got going on. Note this. God chose a woman to carry his son into the world. And God chose a woman to carry the greatest letter of Christian theology ever written to one of the greatest cities ever known. Phoebe. And in verse 1, is interesting, when he commends her and says she's a servant, Phoebe, she's a servant, it's the Greek word diakonos from which we get our word deacon. Now, if you grew up in a Baptist church, then when you say deacon, you mean ruler, whatever. If you read your Bible, there's elders and there's deacons. Deacons were servants in Acts chapter 7. They're the ones that took care of feeding the widows when there was a big fight between the Jews and the Gentiles as to whose widows were getting the most food. She was a deacon, a servant. And he actually says, she's been a helper of many and of me. We would have to guess, but you find yourself thinking, wonder what she did. But let me give you some ideas. If you think a little bit, 
if she's got a good business, and I think she did, just like Lydia, who was a seller of purple and had a good business, maybe it was that she was taking a lot of the profits and investing it into the church and helping Paul as he went on his journeys and took these trips. Maybe she had a larger home. The church didn't have buildings like this. They were looking for people with homes where there was enough space to, to meet and pray and worship and teach. Maybe she opened up her home. Maybe, maybe she actually tended to Paul's wounds or paid for medical attention after he had been beaten or whipped or horrible things happened to him. He says, she is a helper of many and of myself. So she wasn't just running a business. Phoebe found a way to, yes, make some money and be good at what she did, but her heart was in the church, a helper of many and of myself. And here's what also is noteworthy church family she's not the only woman that Paul commends in this chapter of the 34 names listed eight are women that's about one in four and so my point is that I just simply want to say is while the Bible yes teaches us who can be an elder who should preach who should rule and lead the church and he says in first Timothy 3 it should be men that in no way says and women We have no place for you. There's nothing you can do. Oh, my goodness. When Paul decided to name names, one in four was a woman. He's like, oh, my goodness. God, for centuries, has been using hardworking, spirit-filled, Christ-loving women to invest in the church, to lift up Jesus, to spread this good news. I think for ourselves with our church right here, that started in 1994, I can imagine where our church would be apart from godly women, spirit-filled, who've prayed and invested in this church from the very beginning. Thank you, ladies. We need godly ladies. While you raise kids and if you're married, serve in the church. But notice two couples. Two couples get pointed out by Paul. And the first couple is Priscilla and Aquila. They're mentioned in verses 3 to 5. He says they were willing to risk their necks for my sake, my life, and... He says they got a church meeting in their home. Now, interestingly, Priscilla and Aquila are actually the only ones on this list that you can find them other places. They show up four or five other places in the New Testament. And here's what we surmise. This is a couple that apparently had a business, some kind of trade, and they would go wherever the church needed them the most. They're not on staff. They're not a missionary. They do what they do. But they're saying, we're willing to live and do it wherever the church needs us most and make an impact in the church. But as I, as I hear Paul saying, they've got a church meeting in their home. I can't help but think about the couples we have in our church that are raising kids, working jobs, trying to get the kids to sports, trying to fix the car, facing trials, health issues, and service small group leaders. They've got the church in their home. That makes us a very different church than we would be if we just met on Sunday. One of the greatest things about what God's been pleased to do through us is when we get in smaller groups for two hours in a home. And these people aren't just circling up the chairs and and throwing some Ajax on the toilet and make it decent and bowl of potato chips. We're actually asking these couples, do ministry. If their marriage is falling apart, ask some questions and actually try to help. You're kidding. No. Yes. Try to help. Don't run from it. Run towards it. If someone has a baby, you 
rally up the meals. If someone's basement floods, get over there and try to clean it up and help. If someone needs a wheelchair ramp built because their husband is aging, see if you can do that. Have the men go and have a project night. That makes our church so different. The phone isn't ringing with everyone saying, hey, someone on staff needs to go do blah, 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 blah. We could never do it. I am so grateful for couples while they raise kids and do what they do. And some of them have been doing it a long time. So I'm going to take a Paul moment, throw back my head, smile. Some of them have been doing it a long time, like Jerry and Sandy Nash, Pat and Pam Glenn, Russ and Monique Marshall, Zach and Daniel Ashley. These may be names that you're like, I don't know them. But you need to know these are little people in the local church that has made us who we are. It's far bigger than Brad Bigney or any of the speakers up here. Steve and Jane Barnett, Rob and Kathy Lorman, Kevin and Linda Marksbury, Rick and Heidi DeWald, Kevin and Cindy Feldkamp, Derek and Edie Chow, Bill and Carol Nielsen. I could go on. Please don't get your feelings hurt if I didn't name you. Couples that have said, let's serve in the church. Let's not just try to do our jobs and just try to get the kids to soccer. Let's actually do that hard thing and serve in the church. And he says that they were willing to risk their necks. It makes me think of young couples and singles that we got some right now that have stepped up and said, as our director of missions taught us, said, let's try to go to an unengaged people group. Let's not go where the gospel already is. Let's not even go where there's already a church. Let's go to an unengaged people group. And so they're taking trips to pick a country where you're going to have to find a way to live there and work some other kind of job. And it's illegal to share the gospel, to speak of Jesus, to proselytize, but they're going to go anyway because God calls us to take the gospel to every tribe and language and nation. And they're saying, we're willing to risk. Jesus Christ is worth it. Jesus and this message, we will go. Makes me think of couples like David and Andrea and others who are saying, we'll go. Willing to risk their lives. But notice this other couple is in verse 7, Andronicus and Junia. They're mentioned in verse 7. And Paul says their reputation was noteworthy among the apostles. You know what that means? It's the Greek word notorious or illustrious. When the apostles got together and talked, they're talking about Junius, Junia and Andronicus. They're saying, oh man, that couple, that couple, that couple. And here's what I also think is interesting. He says, they were in Christ before me. You say, so what? Here's why I think it's noteworthy. Paul has already been a Christian now 25 years when he's writing this letter. And this was written in a day when the average lifespan in the Roman Empire was 40 years at best. So this is not a young couple. He's lifting up an older couple that did not allow aging to disqualify them from ministry. They kept on serving. And they were noteworthy among the apostles. It makes me think I'm so grateful the people here in our church, older couples that don't shoot me emails and complain, that don't say, why well, don't we have a bus for trips to Gatlinburg? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have older people here complaining. I have older people serving, serving, serving. It makes me think of Bill and, ne- Bill and Neil Elliott and Bud and Linda and Bill and Sue Moore and Dean and Dorothy and Mike and Sue. People who love the Lord, and yes, they might move slower than they used to, and you might have to tell them three times because they can't hear it, but once they get it, they're on it. They haven't said, we're done. 
We taught children's classes. We served. It's time for others. They're still serving in the local church. That's what makes the local church great. Not just the preaching. Little people. Amazing Savior. Life-changing message. And little people all still serving. And here's the last thing I want you to note from this chapter. These are people that he commends who kept on serving after they hit the wall. You know what I'm talking about? I meet people who come to our church and like, yeah, at my other church, I was over the children's ministry. I drove a bus, and I'm not doing nothing now. Yeah, I was a clown with a little nose thing. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I understand sometimes churches can abuse people. We try not to abuse anybody. But folks, if just every little person in our church family would do something, it would be amazing. We need you. We need you. Sometimes in a church our size, I, I, I get pushback. People are like, well, I assume you've got tons of people doing. No, we don't. We have lots of people that just want to come and sit and scoot on out. We need people to serve. And it changes your heart. It's good. It changes your heart. Makes you more like Christ. Christ said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. As you serve, it is part of growing in the Christian life. Just like reading your Bible and praying. As you serve, oh my goodness, it changes you and makes you more like Jesus. And so here's what I think is interesting. Paul, the reason I know these people didn't quit as soon as they hit the wall and it got hard and the thrill of it was gone. He uses a little Greek word three times that actually means to labor to the point of exhaustion and then keep going. It's the word copia. There's another Greek word for work. It's ergon. And that's where we get our word ergonomics. He doesn't use that one. He uses copia that takes it to another level. I'm still serving and I'm tired. I'm still serving and I don't always feel like it. I'm still serving even though someone hurt my feelings. Welcome to my world. My feelings get hurt. I'm still serving even though the, the, the leaders made a decision I don't exactly agree with. Me too. I'm only one of a multiple of leaders. But we've got to set aside. I'm tired. The thrill is gone. Someone at VBS hurt my feelings. You do it as under the Lord. There's an amazing Savior, a life-changing message. And I say, I want to still get in on this because God chooses to do this through little people. There's not another way he's going to do this. Little people just like you and me. So look at it with me in verse 6. Greet Mary who labored much. That word is copia. She just kept going. Look at verse 12. I love this one. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. I think they might have been sisters and even twins. Isn't that cute? Mothers have been doing this for centuries. I have a twin and we're Bradley and Brian. This is Tryphena and Tryphosa. Oh, that's so cute. She probably dressed them alike. But here's what I really love about Tryphena and Tryphosa. It says they labored. They kept going after they were tired and someone hurt their feelings. And their names are dainty and delicate. That's what it literally means. Dainty and delicate worked their butts off. (laughs) Sorry, parents of younger kids. We never allowed our kids to say that. Now that mine are older, I like saying it. I'm such a rebel. (laughs) They didn't stop. Uh, Here's the problem. We got delicate and dainty. Just sitting there. They labored. They labored. And then lastly, at the end of verse 12, you see it again. He says, greet the beloved Persis who labored. Now, I love this. Here's what I think happened. It's almost like she gets a special. 
as he thinks of her, he just says, the beloved Persis. You know what I think is happening there? Surely you know people like this. When you start to say something about them, you're just saying, oh, I was with so-and-so and she just, and you can't even finish because someone standing there interrupts and says, don't you love her? Don't you just love her? Don't you love him? Why are there people like that? You know what it almost always is? These are people that just give and bless and it's not all about them. And they just, they make you feel good when you walk away. And they're about others because they're so about Jesus. They're about others. Greet the beloved Persis. Don't you just love her? I thank God we got people like that. Men and women that you just think, don't you just love him? Don't you just love her? They kept working after they were tired. After the thrill was gone. So let me bring, bring it home to us. What about you? Not out of arm twisting or headlock and a noogie. I have no desire to guilt you into serving. But I would love for you to see Romans chapter 16 and think, our God is still that same kind of God. And he's looking across Grace Fellowship, all three services. And there's a bunch of names that he's already named. But I would love for you to be on that list. Not because you're so gifted. Not because you're so amazing. But here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm asking God. That he would give us, along with a generation that's courageous, confident, a heart to sacrifice, Fat little Christians. Say, careful, big guy. (laughs) Fat little Christians. And here's what I mean. I'm just using fat as an acrostic. Faithful, available, teachable. That's what Romans 16 is. These are not the most gifted people. As far as we know, no one had a seminary degree. But you do have to be willing to be faithful. I'll I'll greet, and I mean I'll greet. If I say I'm going to do it, I'll be there. I'll come early and make coffee. I'll put on a vest and help make sure there's not chaos in the parking lot. I'm a medical professional, so I'll take a turn wearing the little earbud and the microphone in case someone falls out on the floor and I can help them. I'll be security. I'll take a turn in a children's class. I'll go back there. See, here's what we run into. If I'm young and I have little kids, I'm like, oh, I'm with little kids all week. I'm not going to do it. If I'm older and I've raised my kids, well, I've raised my kids. I'm not going to do it. And we won't have anybody doing it. I'll serve. Faithful. Faithful. Even after you get your feelings hurt, even after you feel tired, even after the thrill is gone. Available. Nothing to do with gifts, but it will cost you time. I would never stand here and say, oh, just do it. It's so easy. It ain't easy. When you have relatives in town, you can't blow off church and cook waffles. You got to go because you're supposed to serve somewhere. I I wish you'd think that way. Yes, some of you still blow it off. Don't do that. Don't just not show. That's a problem. But it's going to cost you in time. Instead of just rolling in here, grabbing some coffee, catching the sermon, and heading out, you'd have to come two hours. Yes. Gosh, imagine that. Jesus died on the cross for you. Like two hours. Sometimes people look at me like, we can't come two hours. You'd serve one hour, and you'd be in the worship and sermon another. Or, I don't mind. You want to say the weeks I'm serving? I don't even worship. I can't imagine that. But if you want to do that... Get the CD, listen online, but serve. Yeah, I'll come early. And you like coffee? Someone had to come early and grind the beans and brew it and carry it out there. Just all these areas, little people in the local church, not because we need it. Just the way I talk to you about money, don't give your money because, oh, we're in a desperate need. Don't serve because, oh, we're in a desperate need. Serve because God's always chosen to work through little people in the local church and it changes you 
and makes you more like Jesus. My end game is that I want to be more like Jesus and I want you to be more like Jesus. Just reading your Bible and praying doesn't get it done. Reading your Bible, praying, and serving changes you. I'm praying that God will light up the phones and the emails this week with fat little Christians all saying, you know, I've been coming a while and I still don't serve anywhere. I want to serve. It's not that hard. You can call Bob Smith. Raise your little hand, Bob. You can call Bob Smith or you can just go right to the website and click the main banner where it's GPS, giving, praying, serving. You click that serve tab and it'll just unroll all the ways you can serve here. And if you click one of them, you'll have the email of the person over that ministry and you shoot them an email and say, I'm ready to be a fat little Christian. And I don't know a lot. I'm not that gifted, but I'm available and I'm teachable. Show me how. Give me the curriculum. Put me with someone who's already doing it. We will help you. We will not just throw you to the wolves. We'll help you. Why? You say, Brad, why would I do this? Because there's an amazing Savior, a life-changing message, and God has chosen actually to get this done through little people in the local church. Why? So that he absolutely gets the glory. No one will get confused and think, it can't be her. can't be him. Right. God gets the glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and thank you for Romans 16. Lord, thank you that you don't walk right past little people. And in your wisdom, and it blows us away, you've chosen to build your church to spread the message of the gospel and to lift up Jesus Christ through little people all doing something for the glory of God. Lord, use us. And those of us that perhaps have have hit the wall or got feelings hurt and have stepped back to re-up and step back in. For those that maybe have been scared and have never stepped forward to to courageously step forward and say, help me, I want to serve somewhere. And for those that it just was never on their radar, you'd put it on their radar. Not just so that we'll get our slots filled, but so that we will be more like Jesus. Reading your word, praying, serving. Make us like Jesus. And use us to reach more lost people for Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get you to stand. and I want to read a benediction over you. One of my favorites right now. From Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you for every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.